This is the Expedition Retirement Podcast with Greg Ayler from Golden Reserve. Climbing that mountain to retirement is only the first step. Do you have what you need to get down Retirement Mountain? Hello again and welcome to Expedition Retirement with Greg Ayler of Golden Reserve. My name is Randy Cook and I'm here each week with Greg. As we go through exactly what you just heard, we plan for retirement, we save for retirement, we invest for retirement. But when you start into retirement, will the saving and investing do it? Probably not. And that's what we bring up on this show. There's a lot of boulders on the other side of the mountain that we have to avoid. And that's what this show is all about. Greg, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Randy. How about you? I'm good. I'm good. And you, you've brought in a longtime friend and business associate with you right now, one of the founding members of Golden Reserve. I have. Tim Stallings is sitting right next to me today, and he has been here since day one, 2010, when we started building Ehler Stallings, man. he, uh, Him and I have gone to law school together and now built these companies together. It's pretty exciting to have him today. See, I'm watching Daredevil right now. So are you foggy or are you the are you Daredevil? Which one are you? Oh, man, I'm probably the chubby fat guy, and Tim's the better looking, kind of, you know, better hair, all okay. that all that good stuff. Tim, uh, uh, would you say that's true? Yes, okay. I would love that that was true. I don't I don't think that's true. Maybe maybe 10 years ago, I think uh, I was in a little uh, bit better shape, better looking, but uh, yeah, I'll take the compliment. But you guys started this business. We mentioned this in the past. You started it as elder law attorneys. You went into this business as an attorney firm and then found that there were other things that were needed. So Tim, you get out of college, you go into a law practice, and you decide you're going to go into elder law. Why? Why Why that particular part of, of the business? I think for me, it was just a nice blend of, you know, the opportunity to work with uh, families like the one I grew up in. You know, it's nice to be able to sit down and work with people. I think you go to law school and people assume you're going to end up in the courtroom or, you know, behind a computer mm -hmm. screen. But for me, you know, there were a lot of baby boomers and I knew there was some opportunity there and the chance to work with a good buddy and help people out was uh, very enticing for me. And elder law, you know, met all of those, uh, all those criteria. So, and Greg, as, I am. as you're putting the business together, you know, you sit down, you, you develop a practice, people start coming to you and then you see, wow, there's gaps here. That's, that's kind of what you've explained. Exactly. I mean, believe it or not, don't tell anybody, when we started Ehler Songs, it was an estate planning firm. Mm -hmm. So we were focusing on what everyone else was focusing on. And Tim and I kept getting the same questions from the type of people we wanted to work with. You know, we weren't looking for the people that had $10 million accounts. We were looking for people like our parents. And when we talked to them, a lot of their biggest concerns were things like, oh, man, what happens if I go in a nursing home? Do I lose my house? Do I lose my farm? And that really kind of opened our eyes. And we said, you know what? We haven't really built too much of the website yet. Let's change the focus <laughs> to elder care law instead of estate planning. And, you know, that led to a lot of other great conversations. I think that's where the market was shifting. And we were lucky enough to be there at the beginning. Well, Tim, it's interesting to me when you get into the area of retirement planning, how all of these things kind of fold into it. You start talking about your investments, then that goes over to tax planning. You start talking about tax planning, and then that, the ball continues to roll down the hill into estate planning. And it, it all kind of goes together. So a lot of us don't need an estate planning attorney in the years when we're going up the mountain, but we certainly need it on the way down. So a lot of people think this is just for rich people. They have they have attorneys and they take care of all this and they have wills and they have trusts. What do you find and, and who needs this and who doesn't? Well, I think, you know, we always want to start with the basics. There's certain documents that regardless of where you are in life, 
everyone needs to have. And, you know, there's four that we focus on. We start with putting together healthcare documents. The, mm-hmm. the two important ones are a healthcare power attorney and a living will. A living will is simply the document that states your intentions for life sustaining treatment if you're permanently unconscious. And the other document, the healthcare power of attorney, is really valuable. It allows your chosen person, often a wife or maybe an adult child, to not only see your medical records, but make decisions if you're in a position where you're unable to. Uh, the third document is a financial power of attorney. And, you know, from an elder law standpoint, that document is really the key to helping folks out because, you know, once someone has some health issues, maybe it's some cognitive decline, maybe they got diagnosed with something, you know, that they're, they're dealing with, we want to make sure we have that financial power of attorney so their spouse or their adult children, you know, can help maximize their resources, you know, working with folks like Golden Reserve so that we can protect those assets proactively or even in a crisis situation, we can put things in place so we don't impoverish the spouse and they're able to leave the stuff to their children when they pass away. And then lastly, the fourth document, that's a will. You know, whether you're 18 or, or 80, you need something in place to document who gets your stuff when you pass away. You also mentioned trust as, you know, a tool just for the rich people. And certainly rich people need trust, you know, but we find that, that we use trust as a tool to fix a lot of other issues, not just things that high net worth people deal with. For us, maybe we're doing some special needs planning. Quite commonly, we're using trust to protect assets so that if someone needs nursing home care, they don't lose everything to, to that type of a situation. So, you know, for me, I think um, it's not just for rich people. Uh, a lot of our hardworking middle class folks uh, use trust for other goals as well. So, Greg, as I listen to Tim explain that, I kind of thought all of that was one document. You know, I thought if you had something that took care of your health care and your decisions, but you've outlined there that there's like three, four different documents there that we really need to look at. Absolutely. When you think about these documents, I always like to break them into while I'm alive and when I'm gone. And the power of attorney documents in the living will are really while you're alive documents. Those are the documents that you need some help. You can't do things while you're alive. And I mean, gosh, that has nothing to do with how many zeros are in your bank account, Randy. Mm-hmm. You know, those things are just kind of run of the mill foundational docs that have to be in place. You know, Tim kind of pivoted and talk about things like the will. You know, a lot of times for younger parents, you know, that's important because it outlines guardianship. If something happens to you, kind of who's going to take care of your kids? You know, those are things up the mountain that people need to be thinking about. But when they're going down the mountain, you know, it's where your stuff goes, just like what Tim said. And then, you know, I think the trust question, you know, that's the magic question. I think we're going to talk about a little bit later in the episode. But, you know, those are the big things and some of the, I think, misconceptions that people have that, hey, I, I need to have billions of dollars to have an estate plan. I mean, no, you don't. I mean, you need these basics just to navigate you know, the normal aging, you know, hurdles that everyone faces. So I can tell you that my mom went into memory care. I've mentioned that on the show. She became kept to a point where she couldn't do her checkbook anymore. She wasn't paying her bills. So somebody had to step in and do that for her. I have financial power of attorney. So we could turn that over to me. My brother has it as well. So we can now take care of her financial needs. It's tax season right now. We're taking care of her taxes and and we can do that. But if those documents aren't in place and you try to make a decision like when, you know, the the Medicare bill comes and you got to pay this and they go, well, who's paying this? And you don't have the right documents in place. That becomes an issue, doesn't it? Yeah, it definitely does. Unfortunately, a lot of people believe just because their you know, relative mm. uh, needs some help that they can step in, whether it's their spouse or their parent. But the reality is that's just not true. 
And in those situations, we have to go in front of the court system and we have to deal with what's known as guardianship, right? which, you know, may ultimately get us to the same place, but it takes a lot, a lot of time and it costs a lot more money to get there than putting uh, simple documents in place. I mean, think about it, Randy, you could do a simple healthcare power attorney, financial power attorney, that's probably three or four pages while, you know, you're well and, and kind of have your faculties and you get that written up and it probably costs a couple hundred bucks or you don't do anything. And now your kids are spending thousands of dollars and everything that happens regarding your bank account has to be approved by the court or any kind of healthcare decisions have to be approved by the court. I mean, it is a nightmare and it can be very easily avoided. Greg, as you sit down and talk about the important documents that we've talked about here on the show, the legal papers, I mean, that's kind of a hard conversation. We talk about hard conversations, don't we? We do. I mean, we talk about eating the vegetables, Randy. And I think a lot of times the big word that comes into people's mind when they do this is control. And they think that if they sign something, they're signing their life away. They're signing their bank accounts away. They're signing, you know, their mortality away. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an emotional, fair kind of thing to navigate for all of us as we're trying to work with, you know, parents that are in retirement or grandparents and giving them a little bit of a pass because that is a hard conversation. And what we want to make sure we reiterate is a lot of these documents like the healthcare power of attorney, the financial power of attorney, the will, the, you know, or a trust, none of that shifts over to the kids or to someone else unless something happens to mom and dad, unless you can't act on behalf of yourself. And we want to make sure that that, it's your backup plan, Randy. You're not signing anything away now. You're not handing over any control at this moment. You're handing it over if down the road you lose your faculties. Gotcha. All right. So, Tim, let me ask you this. There might be people listening to us right now that say, I got that. I I, I sat down with an attorney or my mom has a will and a trust and, and we've got that all taken care of. Well, then my question would be how long ago and in what state, and are you getting any new help right now? At what point do you have to look at these documents? Is it every couple of years? Does something happen in your life that it becomes outdated? Tell me when we really need to revisit all of this. Well, I think certainly it's worth pausing, you know, once a year at least and thinking, does my estate plan still accomplish my goals? We include lifetime support at Ehler Stallings, so we reach out to our clients once a year to touch base with them and make sure the planning still gets the job done. And if it doesn't, you know, we'll take the steps to make sure that it stays updated because we want the planning to work not just when they sign it, but we want it to work when they need it, which could often be five or, or ten years down the road. With regard to your question about, you know, when should people look and do additional planning or maybe consider doing additional planning. You know, we, we talk about the big five stages where it's time to probably sit back down with an attorney and have those conversations. Certainly when you turn age 18 and you're able to make your own decisions, the second one, when you get married, that often changes things because now you own assets uh, jointly instead of individually. Uh, when people have their first child, uh, we often get calls. I think, you know, Greg and I have done a lot of planning for, for folks that, you know, we went to law school with and are friends with. And and that often is the, uh, the grown-up moment where they want to make sure that if something happens to them and their spouse, they're able to control not just who gets the money like their child, but when that child was to get it. I think the fourth reason of our big five is, is when someone gets a health diagnosis that was unexpected, something that's going to change the future of their life significantly and they want to plan for that and then lastly number five is retirement you know that's just like you know greg uh, and you randy talk about the importance of 
looking at your financial plan and how things change significantly at retirement. You know, we also look at it on the legal side where, you know, now that you are retired, you know what you have, you know, let's take some steps to get that stuff protected for down the line. So those are, are kind of my big five. I have my little five, too, if we have enough time. <laughs> so, Greg, if you move from another state to Ohio and you already have this in place, or if you're in Ohio and you're going to move to Florida in your retirement, is it time to sit down and talk through this? Because could it possibly happen that your will would be outdated because you're in a different state? It's a great question, and we get it all the time because a lot of people, you know, the snowbirds decide to end up going to Florida or going to the Carolinas or Arizona. What we tell everyone is it depends. Many times the documents in place will function correctly, particularly power of attorneys and other documents will be accepted and used in almost all states across America. Now, what we always tell people to do is when you decide to change your residence to Florida or Arizona, take the plan and go get it blessed by a local estate planning attorney. You know, mm -hmm. it's it's not going to be a huge cost. They're going to look at the plan and say, this works, this works, or we may need to update this. Sometimes there's some goofy stuff with the health care and the financial power of attorneys that require a new document, but those aren't a lot of heavy lifting. And one of the biggest things is how they administer Medicaid. When it comes to protection trusts that we do a lot of that protect assets from the nursing home, you know, Medicaid is a federal program, but it's administered on a state by state basis. So every state has its own nuances and different rules on how they interpret that and how they apply that when there is a unfortunate nursing home event. So, you know, at the end of the day, just make sure that it gets the blessing of a local attorney. And I think that makes everyone feel comfortable. And most times it's pretty nominal. Very, very seldom do they have to do a complete rebuild. So, Tim, I, I'm, I'm envisioning me sitting down at a table with you guys and talking through this, and I'm in retirement, and I'm saying, okay, I need to make sure that I split the money up amongst my kids in case I leave this world. But I got a problem here. I got one kid that's doing just fine. They're self-supportive. They're doing very well. I got another one that seems to be okay, but they could use a little help. I got one that's a mess. So what, <laughs> how, do I, how do I do this fairly and equitably? What does that conversation look like and what are my options there? That's a tough question for first thing in the morning here, Randy. But uh, I think, uh, you know, we, we obviously want to get to know them. I think you hit the nail on the head when you said equitable, equal and equitable are not always the same. Okay. And for us, first, we want to get to know the family. We want to understand what mom and dad's goals are because they're our client at the end of the day. But we also make sure they understand that the decisions that they're making right now are going to affect the relationships of their children when they're long gone. So we want to make sure that if they are you know, taking uh, maybe less traditional distribution and, and things aren't equal to the children, that that's been communicated with the kids. So it's not a big surprise when, you know, someone opens the uh, the binder and is looking at the documents when mom or dad are sick or pass mm -hmm. away, because, you know, we want to make sure that this planning works, you know, for the family, not just for mom and dad, but for multiple generations uh, down the line. I think that's the, the great point, Tim, that most attorneys don't even address. They just dive into the legalese of, well, we can do one third and a delayed distribution and we can do a $100,000 payment. And at the end of the day, it you know, what Tim said is so right. Like, do you guys understand how this could affect the relationships of your children and who's in charge of the purse strings? And some of the, I think, more mechanical, you know, parts are the only thing that gets attention from most law firms. But if you dig deep and say, what do you really want to accomplish here? Is it worth it to have different standards and going down those roads, I think leads to some really healthy conversations. And it sometimes changes how they were viewing how their kids should receive their money. I mean, we've seen cases, Randy, where 
families were destroyed over a piano that no one even played. They didn't even care about it. Wow. But because of the bereavement process, they're coping with mom and dad, and now they're attaching to items that mom and dad had. I mean, it makes it really hard. So estate planning is really important if you want to keep your family intact and you know together after you're gone. And I think most people just use a throwaway, and oh, they'll figure it out. They'll figure it out. Well, that's not always the case. And if mom and dad make the decision and then communicate that decision, I think you have an exponentially higher degree of success of keeping your family together in the long run, so long as it's talked to both before your passing and then implemented after your passing. You know, Greg, one of the great parts of the Golden Reserve model is how you've developed this. You may need help in this legal area, but then that spills over into a conversation about taxes and then maybe investments. And basically, you can just walk down the hall. Yeah, it really worked out great. You know, when we started, it was just Ehler Stallings, right? It was just a law firm. And as we, you know, Tim and I dug in and we had the luxury of doing a lot of educational seminars. So we met hundreds and hundreds of people very early in our law firm's, I guess, you know, growth pattern. And by doing that, we realized that people were missing a lot of really good financial and tax advice. So we turned around and formed a separate company, you know, a financial company. You know, Ehler Stallings is the legal piece and Gold Reserve is the financial piece. And now the luxury is that Gold Reserve operates on its own as a financial company and it can knock on the doors of Ehler Stallings if they need some legal help and then go down and talk to Gold Reserve Tax if they need some tax help. So all of these things, I think, kind of tie together. Yeah, all under the same umbrella of helping you in your retirement years. So let me ask about these one more legal document here and try to get drilled down on the idea of a trust. Greg explains it very well, Tim, that a will is for when you die. A trust is while you're still alive. But from my understanding of looking at this, there are a lot of different kinds of trust. What is a trust and who needs what different kind of trust? Well, Randy, you know, when we talk about trust, we always start with the reason why. Uh, learn the client's goals. But in simple terms, a trust, you can think of it as a holding tank. It's uh, a contract between several different parties, the people who set it up. So we call those folks the grantors. Those are normally our clients, the trustee, which is the folks who have to follow the rules that the grants are set forth. And then the beneficiaries, the people who get the stuff when you pass away. Oftentimes, when we sit down with prospective clients, there's some confusion. The word trust scares them, you know, but we really want to make sure that they understand that it's very straightforward. They're going to get to decide, you know, who serves in what role, and they're going to get to decide what the rules are. And, well, we obviously guide them on that. So it's exactly what they want, consistent with uh, meeting the goals that they have. So I've heard the term, if you're going to put a trust together, a trust needs to be funded. What does that mean? Wow, that's a, that's a great question, Randy. You know, when we started our firm, Greg mentioned earlier, we met with a lot of folks. And probably the biggest mistake we saw was folks that had taken the time to put together a trust, but really there was nothing in it. So when folks use the word funded, it means that you're simply changing the title from ownership maybe as an individual or as a couple, like your home, and you're having the home owned by your trust. So when we talk about funding, if you set up a trust, you take the time and energy and, and expense to do it, but then you don't put anything in it, an unfunded trust really does nothing for you. Gotcha. I've also heard the words, and see, I'm just throwing words out here, revocable and irrevocable. Tell me what that means. 
Well, certainly trusts come in two primary flavors, revocable and irrevocable. And, you know, the, the misconception is revocable is good, irrevocable is bad. And as I'm sure your listeners know, if that was the case, no one would do an irrevocable trust. You know, we look at irrevocable as a way to protect things. Irrevocable means nobody can make us revoke it. And we look at that as very positive because when it comes to creditors or things like the nursing home or Medicaid, we don't want the assets in the trust uh, to have to be revoked, if you will, and then spent down. We're protecting them by using things like an irrevocable trust. So then is it a good practice then that I've put a trust together that I put that trust in a place where it can be changed along the way? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I think it's a good thing, Randy, but I think it's important to take a step back and start off with the big question of what do you want it to do? Mm -hmm. Like people shouldn't do a trust unless there's a reason, right? Do you want to avoid probate? Well, trust can do that. Certain types of trust. Do you want to avoid taxes? Well, other trusts can do that. Well, what if you want to protect it from the nursing home? Well, different types of trusts do that. Unfortunately, there isn't a trust that does everything for you. Mm -hmm. So we have to figure out what you, what your primary goal and fear is, and then use the right trust for that. Now, the irony is that just because a trust is irrevocable doesn't mean it can't be changed. It just means it can't be revoked. The definition of irrevocable is cannot be revoked. It doesn't mean it can't be changed. So when we build our most popular trust is our heritage trust. Our heritage trust allows people to put maybe their home or their farm or their CDs into this trust, and then the nursing home can't have access to them. Now, that sounds scary because it's an irrevocable trust, but the reality is the mom and dad can change the beneficiaries at any time. The mom and dad can change the trustees at any time. And oh, by By the way, if mom and dad want the assets back, the trustee who a lot of times is their kid can take the asset out and then transfer it back to mom and dad. So while everyone tries to, I guess, categorize all trusts as the same, they are contracts that are individually built for different needs. And there's a lot of great things that can happen from a protection standpoint if you leverage them correctly. And a lot of times that's for everyday folks. It's not for people that have millions of dollars, but maybe just a $100,000 house and a $200,000 CD. That could be a great fit. I'm pretty sure, you know, protecting $300,000 seems like a pretty reasonable thing when you pay three or four grand. So, Tim, as we kind of close this out, as you've gone through this segment, there's a lot there that a lot of us just are not experts in. I mean, I I do my thing for 40 years, and this is an area that I need, but I sure don't know very much about it. I think it can be kind of intimidating, and when we go back to what we were talking about, this is one of those subjects that people avoid because it's intimidating. Can we give some people a little guidance along those lines that it doesn't have to be that way? Absolutely, Randy. I think, you know, we try and be process oriented so that when we start at the beginning, they know what to expect. And the way that we start is a 15 minute call. People are often afraid to reach out to an attorney because they don't know the process. They don't know the fees. So we'll be glad to hop on the phone with them, talk to them for 15 minutes, get an understanding of what they're looking for, make sure we're the right ones to help them out with it. And then, you know, get an appointment scheduled so that we can have those conversations. It certainly can seem complicated when you look at it from a 30,000 foot view, but, you know, we try and work through a series of four meetings where we get to know them. Then we gather information, we put documents in place, and then we sit down with the financial side to, to fund those trusts often through Golden Reserve. 
So I also think elder law attorneys are just nicer, Randy. I mean, remember, <laughs> we're like a different type of attorney, right? Like and most people are suing people or going after people or the hard negotiator. I mean, think about what elder law attorneys do all day. We're talking to people that are nervous and we're building plans that are win-wins. So it breeds a different type of attorney experience. So I think people are intimidated because they've had crappy attorney experiences in the past where people were jerks to make it in the elder law field. You got to be pretty nice. I mean, we have a no tie policy, so you're not allowed even wear a tie in our offices. So we want to make it feel very comfortable and relaxing for people to come in and hopefully be able to share some of their, you know, concerns and family dynamics to us on a pretty quick basis. Thanks for listening to the Expedition Retirement Podcast with Greg Ayler. To get your complimentary roadmap for retirement, call 855-546-2074. That's 855-546-2074. Or go to getyourroadmap.com. Investment advisory services offered by investment advisory representatives at Golden Reserve RIA, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed are not designed nor intended to be applicable to any person's individual circumstances. It should not be considered as investment advice, nor does it constitute a recommendation that anyone engage in or refrain from a particular course of action. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Investments can fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Financial professionals are not licensed in all 50 states. To find out if Golden Reserve is licensed in your state, please contact their office. Golden Reserve RIA, LLC, Golden Reserve LLC, Golden Reserve Tax LLC, and Ayler Stallings LLC are not affiliated with nor endorsed by the Social Security Administration or any other government agency. Legal services offered by Ayler Stallings LLC. Tax services offered through Golden Reserve Tax LLC. Annuity guarantees rely solely on the financial strength and claims paying ability of the issuing insurance company. By contacting us, you may be provided with information about insurance and annuity products offered through licensed professionals at Golden Reserve LLC, NPN Insurance License Number 1655411.